Welcome to the Paranormal Brawlers Podcast. Here is your host, Tessa Morrow. Hey everyone, thank you for listening to my first episode ever in the podcast world. A real quick introduction, my name is Tessa Morrow. I've been investigating the paranormal now for several years. I'm an author with one book out, uh, that's Paranormal Prowlers, I'm Always With You, and my second book to be released in the next couple of months or so. So excited about that. Uh, Besides investigating and writing about the unknown, for the past 26 or so months, I've had my talk show on worldwide radio. Some of you may know me from that venue. And now I am just so excited to be jumping right into the podcast realm. So let's dive right in. You know, from time to time, I'm asked the question, how long have you been investigating the paranormal? Well, It's a little harder to answer than you'd think, (laughs) for me anyways. See, ever since I could crawl, I've had a fascination with the unknown. Uh, At age two, I would be in the car seat chilling out as we'd be driving down the road when suddenly I would just be screaming and kicking and yelling for my mom to stop the car. See, folks, we just passed the cemetery and two-year-old Tessa is anxious to get out and explore the hell out of it. Do I recall these events? No. No, I do not. But my mom tells me about it. She recalls it like it was just yesterday. Hearing my little voice in the backseat excitedly saying, Graveyard! Graveyard! Me go! Me go now! She admits to me (laughs) that she was really confused on how a two-year-old knew what a graveyard even was, let alone what it was called. As a child, I loved ghosts, monsters, The Boogeyman, Freddy Krueger was my favorite. Scary movies, you know, if it was unexplained, paranormal, bloody, or scary, I was digging it at all ages. Still do. Before the TV shows were out and before I had any tool in my hand, I was visiting haunted locations like Alcatraz, the Winchester House, the Myrtles Plantation. Oak Alley, and so on. Learning the history, exploring, taking it all in, and instead of the tools we use today, I was using my senses as they were all heightened. So I guess to answer the question, how long have I been investigating the paranormal? With tools for around 10 years. With love, curiosity, an open mind, and passion, I've been investigating it since I was a child. And I've had tons of encounters while a child as well and into my adulthood. There's just something about the paranormal, uh, words I can't describe. Every location has a story. Every building has history, tells, and life stored up in it. Some hold secrets, daring never to reveal them. Others are notoriously known and so on. Now, I've always wanted to investigate paranormally active locations I've been interested since a child, as mentioned earlier, and I want to share the moment that led me to actually do it, like that final push, if you will. I was living in a small mountain town in Colorado, about a couple hours away from the New Mexico state border, a town called Del Norte. It's a small town with a bunch of neat business storefronts, a grocery store, a liquor store, two gas stations, and one stoplight. 
And if I remember correctly, about 2,000 or so people live there. Less than an hour away is a smaller, even more up in the mountains town, called Creed. This place is really awesome and pretty magical. And if you live in Colorado or are planning a trip over there, I sincerely recommend going to Creed. But during the spring and summer, when everything is open... As you pass the town of Creed, you suddenly find yourself on a dirt road surrounded by mountains and to the left is an underground fire department, which you have to admit, that's pretty badass. It's in the actual mountain and it looks like a cave. A mining museum is a few feet away where you can hand feed and hold chipmunks. I've done it before. It's pretty epic and addicting. It's hard to leave once it happens. (laughs) Anyways, basically, as soon as you leave the pavement and hit the dirt, you are in the mining district known as Bachelor's Loop. Follow the road that travels up and through the mountain, and you will find several mines. It's a beautiful site and so filled with history. It's a place that I have gone to many times throughout the years, and I continue to go to this very day. It is here in Bachelor's Loop where it officially started for me. It was in October, and my best friend Jordan and her then-boyfriend Joe, who live in my hometown of Pueblo, uh, which is about two and a half hours from Del Norte, came to visit me to celebrate my birthday. I thought it would be really fun to take them to Bachelor's Loop, since I've been there so many times and have enjoyed it so much. (laughs) So as we drive on the dirt road, the first mine presents itself to us. Commodore Mine stands very tall and proud and is the most photographed mine in the county. Seeing it for the first time is breathtaking. I've seen it probably a hundred times and the beauty it holds never wavers. It never gets old being in its mighty presence. So we pull over, get out of the car so Jordan and Joe can check it out and take in the scenery and I just see Joe kind of standing there and I take a picture of him thinking nothing of it. We jump in the car and drive another couple miles on the bumpy road until we get to Amethyst Mine. On site is what looks like an old barn and right next to it is an old collapsed cabin. Amethyst Mine is a place I love going to. Uh, On foot you cross the river And on the hill, you can dig and find your own amethyst. We always do this when in town, and especially after a good rain, your chances of digging up some amethyst is pretty decent, if you have the patience for it, that is. So anyways, we pull up to the barn and cabin. Uh, Joe offers to take some pictures for us with my camera and Jordan's phone. We stand in the doorway of the cabin with Joe snapping a few pictures And we move on with the rest of the day. Later that night, Jordan approaches me and shares that, hey, you know, here I am looking through my pictures taken earlier in the day, and I'm seeing things that I can't explain. Obviously, it makes me want to look through mine as well. And in the picture that I took of Joe enjoying his surroundings at Commodore Mine, in front of him in the distance in the sky is a rainbow-like ball. Pastel colors are in it, uh, but that's not the only thing that catches my attention. On the top of this ball, to the right, and kind of upside down, is a partial face. You can see its eyes and its nose. And in the middle of the ball is a man's face. 
I mean, full on, not a partial like the other one. You can see the curls in this man's short hair, his eyes looking above and off to the side and his cheeks and his mouth. I tried debunking this, you guys. I, I really did, but I could not. This was taken via digital camera on a new SD card with fresh batteries. The pictures before this was of Creed, the sites, not people. And again, it's a digital camera. To this day, I still look at this picture and just find myself in true awe. Like, wow, that's not one, but two faces in this pastel ball. Now, folks, I completely understand that orbs, hence why I was saying ball, orbs are mostly and usually dust, bugs, or something else that we can explain away. But when it comes to the paranormal, you have to have an open mind. There have been several times I have captured what look like balls of light with a face in them. To date, this is the clearest of them all. Now, with saying that, there's been many more times that I've gotten what look like a sea of these things, minus the faces, knowingly and debunking these as dust particles. I continue to look through my pictures and find that we are not alone while in the abandoned and partly collapsed cabin. As Jordan and I stand there posing for pictures, a bluish figure is seen behind us. In one picture on my shoulder, you can clearly see what uh, I can only describe, and I kid you not, a ferret. This ferret looks to be biting down on me. I mean, that's weird, right? As a kid, we used to have ferrets as pets. They're long, they're lanky, they're very obvious, and they make these cute little excited noises. If there was one on my shoulder, I would have definitely felt the weight. And obviously, if it bit me, I would have absolutely felt that. <laughs> the picture, looking at it, I can't explain this. It shocked the heck out of me. There's another picture at the time. I uh, was in Red Cross and always had this lanyard with me. And the keys were in my pants pocket and the lanyard would just hang down off my leg. In this one particular picture, it's at a slant, almost as if, I don't know, like a child is holding on to it. It's an obvious, definite angle. And at the end of the lanyard is a ball of light. Now, I just want to say it was a calm October day in the mountains. Not cold, not windy. It was just perfect. And even if it were windy, we were in the cabin protected from the weather elements at the door arch. And if it were windy and the wind was moving the lanyard about, it would have shown up as somewhat blurry in the photo, as, you know, fast-moving objects often do. I quickly scanned through my other pictures, looking at the lanyard, and in every picture, besides the one just mentioned, it is laying there against my leg, like it normally would be. To me, these are just incredible photos. I have always felt that Bachelor's Loop was a spiritual place, feeling the pastime, the miner's presence, and so on. Throughout my life, I have had encounters with the supernatural. I have to say, it was the faces looking back at me, the blue figure, the unexplained placement of the lanyard, and the phantom biting ferret. That was the final push, that leap into the paranormal realm. And I've been there ever since. It wasn't close to payday and I was short on cash. So I started off simple, 
bought a spirit box, a K2 meter, and a digital recorder, which to this day remains my favorite tool to use as it records everything, including my favorite piece of evidence, EVPs, the voices of the dead, electronic voice phenomena. There was no doubt in my mind where I was going for my first official investigation. Bachelor's loot, my friends. I found it appropriate and quite the place to get started. My sister Casey shared a interest and passion for the paranormal and became part of my team. I bought my recorder and Olympus, which I still have to this day at Walmart, and bought the spirit box and K2 meter online. And they came to me of all days on Halloween. I was off work that day, and when I got them, I was so excited. I raced to work, which was just like two minutes away. I asked my sister and my boyfriend and a couple of other friends if they wanted to join us and possibly go on a Halloween investigation up in the good old mountains. It was agreed that after work in the evening, we would head up there. And boy, as I already knew, it did not disappoint. (laughs) I've actually gone back there to investigate on another Halloween as well. Anyways, uh, by the time we arrived, there was about an hour of daylight left. I remember exploring the grounds of Commodore Mine, then Amethyst Mine. We experienced some cold spots. Now, even though it was the end of October in Colorado, us Coloradans have been very graced with a mild fall and winter that year, and the weather was behaving quite nicely for us that Halloween night. In addition to the cold spots, we received EVPs, unexplained sounds on recording, and had success with our first spirit box session. All in all, it was a pretty great night and a phenomenal start to paranormal investigating. What's really exciting is when you are investigating and later on, while going through the evidence, the audio and pictures and videos and etc., and you receive EVPs, which at the time don't make sense until you, after you do some homework, a little bit of research, and it fits the paranormal puzzle, that piece right there. Yes. One time while at Bachelor's Loop, we were at Commodore Mine, and when we asked who was with us, the voice of a man was recorded whispering, McDonald. Later, I searched the Colorado mining archives and found that a miner named R. McDonald was killed in a mining accident in that very area. So, If you're in the area, make your way up the mountains, driving alongside the Rio Grande River, or what some of us locals just call the Rio Grande, and take a look for yourself. It's embedded with history. By 1892, more than 10,000 people lived here, which is hard to believe that such a small, tiny town could even hold that many people. Some of these people included Calamity Jane Canary, Poker Alice, Bat Masterson, Bob Ford, the man who killed Jesse James and who later himself was killed in Creed, and a sneaky con man named Soapy Smith. Are you a mine fan? Here's some numbers for you. Silver was 58 million troy ounces. Gold, 150,000 ounces. Lead, 112,000 metric tons. Zinc, 34,000 metric tons, and copper, 2 million metric tons. 
Thank you for checking out the first Paranormal Prowlers podcast. See you next week.